want you to say these words with me. Say, I am free. Turn to the person near you. Say, I'm free. Your second choice, I'm free. Online, you're free. We need this reminder. I think part of the reason that we gather here is to remind one another that we're free. See, I feel like as we go about our week, we're uh, constantly bombarded with things that want to steal from us and take from us and imprison us in various forms from media to uh, our office space to friends, whatever. Everyone wants to have a voice in our lives. That, as we talked about last week, uh, we choose our master. We're free to choose our master. But a lot of us allow our master to choose us, and we have to be reminded that we're free. We're free to first and foremost choose who informs and forms our life. And as followers of Christ, we've chosen Jesus as the, the one who we believe is capable of leading our life, and he's died for our freedom. And, and so as we surrender our lives to him, he then gives us the freedom to choose our master, and we choose him. And when we align our lives with him, he truly brings freedom into our lives. But we have to understand what that freedom looks like. And when we connect our life with God, we've got to realize, what does that life in Christ look like? And in John 8, 36, it says, therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. You really are free in this space. And as last week, we, we talked about the reality that we're free. We're not free from a behavior or a habit, but we're free from living a life controlled by a master that's not capable of leading us. That from the moment you were formed in your mother's womb, you were created to be free. God crafted your heart and your mind and your soul for freedom. And a lot of us have phoned in our freedom. We've traded our freedom in, but God has designed you for freedom. And part of the freedom that we have is this uh, natural tendency for us to, uh, to create. Part of the freedom that we have is that God has given us the freedom to create, to create a life that he's imagined for us. That if you're in the midst of a life that you don't like, just know that God has given you the freedom to create a different life, that we can create something beautiful because we've been created. You yourself may not feel like you're creative. I know we have a few people who do a, a few creative things, and, 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 and we love creativity. We celebrate creativity from, you know, Jay Stockman writing a book to, you know, people doing various things. We have a group that meets every Monday that paints here uh, down the hall. And so we celebrate creativity, but often we think creatives are the people who, you know, maybe are a little estranged, they're a musician or they're a painter or, uh, you know, they only use a part of their brain because they just think different than the rest of us. But the reality is God's created all of us to be creative, that you were created by the ultimate creator to be unique. And your uniqueness is not a virtue, it's a responsibility and we use that responsibility to create something wonderful and beautiful, and ideally we use that to create an opportunity for people to come and see a God who loves them. But I've noticed as we kind of grow up, we don't grow into creativity. We actually grow out of it. When you were young, you most likely uh, colored outside the lines and drew and, and you painted and you, you know, maybe sang and recorded music and you did all of these things without thinking about what the masses wanted. You did it without thinking about what would uh, be embarrassing or what would please people. My daughter still just, she'll come and bring us things that are just outside the lines of the norm for creativity, you know? Like, she's a little out there, and that's great, and it's celebrated. And all of us were in that space at one point in our life, but what happens is as we get older, we become more aware of the opinions of others. When we get older, we start risking less, and we start caring more, and in the process, we become less creative. We didn't lose our creativity, but we grew away from it. 
And in Genesis 1, what we find is we find God creating. God doing what God does best. He's not described as a force or an energy or an idea. He's not described as a, a principle. He's not abstract, but it's God creator. And he's simply doing what creators do. He's going to work. And in Genesis 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and it was empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. If you remember when we were talking about the Trinity, we talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit was present at, at, the, at the beginning of time, hovering over the waters as God was creating. The Holy Spirit was actively participating in the creative process. In verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. The earth was dark. It was formless. There was nothing. And God begins to speak. And whatever he spoke became Whatever he called for was all of a sudden formed, and I love that the most important book in human history begins with a creative, with God describing the process, the artist's process of him working through creativity, the Holy Bible, the most important book in human history begins with creation, the act of creation, the account of everything that was not visible, now being visible. God takes what's formless and he brings form, what's dark, and he brings in light, he breathes and he blows over the waters. His breath is life, but it's also life-giving. And Genesis begins to talk about that. But there's more to the creative story. The Genesis creation text is not confined to telling us how the world was created. It's also a witness of the creative power and the potential and the work of God. That God imagined all of this. I mean, have you turned on the Animal Planet or some obscure channel and it's like there's this weird, obscure like creature that we don't know about and it's like, God, imagine that. At three o'clock this morning, we had coyotes barking in our front yard. God, imagine that. These things are imagined. I was mad this morning that God imagined that, but God imagined that. There's you and there's me. Unique, quirky, weird, a little strange. God imagined you. He imagined all of it. And the creation text is not confined to telling us this. If you'll take the low end out of my voice, that'll solve that. The world created. It's not confined to what God did. But it's describing what God is doing. When we read Genesis, it's not just describing what God did but it's describing what he's doing. This isn't an impersonal environment that he's created for us. Do you realize how interactive and tactile our world is? I mean, I cut my grass yesterday. How more tactile can you get? Like, I'm immersed in the process of shaving down grass, and it's just kicking out my big mower. I love it. That It is tactile, that we are hands-on, actively involved. See, last year, my family and I, we went to the Art Institute of Chicago, and I know we're fancy like that. Uh, and we saw all of this like beautiful works of art. And, and a lot of it was famous. And we're like, oh, there's that and there's that. And we're like, was that the guy that cut his ear? I can't remember. And like we were talking really, really uh, high society. And, and so we were there. And, and what you're reminded every room is that you don't get to touch it. You can watch. Don't get near it. Don't act like, like keep your hands in your pocket. Don't even pretend that you're good. It's not a joke. They don't think it's funny, the curators. They don't think that things are funny like that. I don't touch, but it's beautiful. And yet, if you've ever been into like a, a live art installation, 
uh, maybe down the city streets. Certain cities have different places where they want you to, to touch. We were walking past SEMO last night, and uh, my son and I, and I was like smacking on all the, the noisemakers out there, and he was making fun of me, like what he does. But we were playing with it. Like, you're invited into it. See, a lot of us see the world as this, if it's a gallery, where we're going to observe from a distance, and, and we're just going to kind of watch and, and, and wait and see, and, and, and we're not going to get involved. And yet what God does is he's created the world, and he created you and me, and he placed us in, and he wants us to get our hands dirty. He wants us in on the art because we are the art, that he created everything, and he created and imagine you and me. And for centuries, theologians and scientists have been debating and discussing and asking, when did creation begin? Uh, is it an old earth? Is it a new earth? Is it, is it young? Is it, was, there, was there dinosaurs? Was there not dinosaurs? When did they come in? And, and, and then we start talking about how did the earth form? Uh, was it a bang? Was it, did God create the bang? Like there's all of this discussion and we're asking all the wrong questions. See, we want concrete answers on everything. The real question we should be asking is how do I get in on this? How do I get in on what God is doing? If God has created this earth and he's placed me in the middle of it and you and, and we've been invited to partake and to touch and to feel and to work and to cultivate, where do I fit? What part do I play? What can I create? Because the creation story didn't start and end in Genesis, but it continues in your heart and your life. That Genesis is an invitation. It's an invitation for us to join in the creative process to work and to dream and to imagine. And he invites us to hear and to feel and to sense and to see the work that he's done and the work that he's doing through us, that God created us to be free. So let's use our freedom to create. In Genesis 1, it says, uh, 27, so God created man in his own image. Here we have a God who created us in his own image. He could have created us in any image imaginable. Could have created us with any, any ideal, any thought process, any imagination. He created us in his image. He created him in the image of God, both male and female. God created us in his image, the ultimate creator, shaping us in his likeness. That we are a reflection of his creativity, his self-determination, his speech, his uh, entire uh, being. We are a direct reflection of who God is. When we are at our best, we are reflecting, we are emanating God. See, God isn't done creating. See, I think the best work that he does is in the human heart. I think God continues to work. He works in us. And he works through us. We often imagine that the creation story is starting and ending in Genesis, but God says, no, I'm still working. I'm not done. I'm working in you. I'm working on your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. And you and I, we get to play a role in what God started with the creation of the universe. The creation story is an invitation to keep working and dreaming and imagining and creating. See, what I know about creativity is that it's not about what you're making, but it's about who you're becoming while you're making. Creativity is not about what you're creating, but it's about who you're becoming. Art changes people. It just does. It changes the world we live in, music and, and painting and uh, photography and on and on. It shapes us. It changes us. I love visiting different cities and different states and seeing the culture, that the culture of the city that I was born in is different than the culture of the city I'm in. The culture of the city that I've lived in for seven years is drastically different than the one that uh, we're in now. And, and you go to this city and you go to that one and you go to this state and that state and that's not even like going overseas. And how different the, the cultures are and the art and the food and the music and everything's changed. 
It's beautiful because it's a reflection of the people that God has created. That you in this city are, are, are part of the makeup, part of the DNA. We're part of the culture that we make up the city because art shapes and changes the world. You and I have the capacity to change the culture in our own city. You may not consider yourself an artist, but you have something unique to offer the world that makes it a better place. You have something unique to offer this community of faith. You have something unique to offer our city and our state that you may not paint or take pictures other than selfies, but you're an artist. And whatever you're doing with your time and your money is creating art. It's creating something beautiful. You have ideas that solve problems and connect people to Jesus. You were created to make the world a better place. If you've ever wanted to know what your purpose is in life, your purpose is to make the world that you're in better. To leave it better than you find it. That there are enough people destroying the world. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's enough people tearing things down. There's enough people polluting our world. So why can't we be the people who are bringing beauty and life and health why can't we be the people who are standing up? Yesterday was Earth Day. I don't know if you celebrated. Uh, but yesterday was Earth Day, and, and it's like a, a man-made holiday where we celebrate Earth. And, uh, and, and Christians are typically the last, the least, to, to actually acknowledge the fact that we have a responsibility to care for the Earth because we're not going to be here forever, and we're going to get out, so let's just trash the place before we go. And yet what I'm reminded is that we, more than anyone else on the planet, should understand how important it is to care for what God's given us. There are enough people destroying and tearing down. We should be the ones who step in and say, let's care for the earth. It's not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. In Genesis 1.27, God blessed Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fishes of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on earth. We've been given a biblical mandate to be fruitful and multiply. I've done my part, right? We've got three kids, and I'm out, so uh, I'm done. I don't know how many kids you have. You've probably done your part. You're out. If you haven't had kids yet, uh, you know, let's go. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Be fruitful and multiply. This is a clear commandment to have more children, to multiply and to populate the earth. So God's saying, Adam, Eve, go populate the earth. You've got a huge responsibility, so you better tackle it, right? Uh, and, and what a lot of us do is we read this and we go, okay, done, and I love it, like, kids are the only thing you can create here on earth that you can take to heaven, right? You don't get to, like, create something and then take it with you. So it's just children. If you're doing it right, they go with us into eternity. Uh, and so it's beautiful. It's a great process. And yet, there are people who can't have kids. Yet, there are people who don't want to have kids, and none of us fault you for that. There are people who've had kids, and they're grown. You're empty nesters. So uh, for some of us, we'd look at this and go, well, I'm done. But, but what if God was inviting us to multiply his work here on earth? I mean, this is a clear call to have children, but what if we looked at this at a bigger scale and go, God is inviting us to continue to take part in the creation process, to bear fruit in which our lives have so much fruit that it, it's spilling into others' lives. Where it's not just having children, but we're duplicating ourselves. We're pointing people to Christ. We're multiplying ourselves. Maybe we're multiplying love or peace or joy or generosity what if God is inviting us to be fruitful and multiply grace and peace and kindness? That the uh, directive to reproduce is mentioned over 10 times in Genesis. 
It describes everything from animals and Noah and his, his, his generational uh, can and on and on. But it says, be fruitful and multiply. What are you multiplying in your life? See, I wonder often, what is my life duplicating? I mean, I know I've had some kids and, and I have a responsibility to keep instilling in them godly principles and morals and, and to help keep uh, directing them in the way uh, that the Lord has called. But what else is my life producing? You're done raising kids. What are you producing in your life? The way we speak, the way we spend, the way we talk, the places we go, the things we do with our time, we're multiplying something. We're putting something out into the world. And it says, fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. The reality is that every single one of us are filling the earth with something. You're putting something out in the world. I mean, it's, uh, it's 11, 11, 28, and you've already put something into the world, right? You've gotten up, you brush your teeth, uh, you've eaten breakfast, you've left a footprint, uh, you maybe had a cup of coffee, you tossed that cup away, you're living trash. Like, you're putting something into the world. You've called, you've texted somebody, you've done something, you've put something in the world. We're all leaving trails behind us. And we know that practically, you know, we have landfills packed full of garbage. Uh, I was at the Boonville dump. I don't recommend anyone go to the Boonville dump, but I was there uh, for practical reasons, not for research purposes. And, and I'm reminded, there's a lot of trash. We're putting a lot of trash practically in the world. And we, we find that a lot of people are making things cheaper and we're fixing things less. And so we're just buying a bunch of cheap stuff and trashing it when we're done. That we're literally trashing the earth. But not only are we practically trashing the earth, we're doing this verbally. We're doing this online. Like we're leaving footprints of garbage. We have people with the title uh, content creator because we're just putting content out. It's not art, it's just stuff, visual clutter, because we're constantly putting things out, but we're not asking ourselves, is that what God has called us to put out? Is that the right thing to put out at the time? Is that what we should be filling the earth with? We were filling hard drives and cloud spaces and dumps and all of this stuff with just garbage. What are we putting into the world that's making the world a better place? God has called us to fill the earth. Is what we're filling the earth with bringing honor and glory to him? Are the things we're posting, are the things we're talking about, are the, the ways that we're communicating, are we building, are we edifying, are we pointing people to a God who loves and cares? Lastly, it says subdue it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it says take control, take ownership. Can we take ownership of our life, of the content that we're putting in the world, of the way that we act, treat one another, spend money, Realizing that we have control over our life's work that you have or you should have control over your household and your destiny. See, we don't lose control of our lives. We surrender it. We don't lose control. We give it up. And often we give it up to the wrong things that cause us to get angry. And we put anger into the world. Notice how fast anger multiplies. You wake up cranky, the first person you talk to, they're not cranky, but now they are. And then they go, and the next person they talk to is now cranky. And then you can leave, you can, if you can actually look at the trail that we leave behind, and that's just anger. That we're putting things in the world, we're filling the earth with stuff, but are we actually subduing it? Are we harnessing our creative potential? To wake up and go, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to treat others today? How do I spend today? How do I work today? We don't lose control. We give it up. And God has given us the freedom to take ownership of the things that we're creating. So let's subdue them. Let's harness that creative potential. Subdue means to overcome or, or to control. So I wonder what areas of your life and mine have we lost control of? 
What areas of our life have we given control to something else? We no longer have control over our thought life. We're always negative. We're always thinking of the worst case scenario. We're always stressed and worried because of our thought life. We don't have control over it anymore. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe we've given our heart over to evil. Maybe it's your mouth. Sorry, that felt more threatening than I meant it to be. But maybe it's our mouth. Maybe we've lost control over it. Maybe the words that we're using are not bringing life and health, but destruction and death. But I know that we've all got some areas of our life where we've lost control. We've given control. We haven't lost it. We've given it over. And it's time to subdue it. That if I'm not actively creating something, I'm actively destroying something. And so if what we do in our lives has a potential to bring destruction, then why not bring health and life? Creativity is about who you're becoming in the process. And what I've found is that the creative process is arduous. No matter what you're involved in, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging, whether it's looking at a blank page and you're going to write or uh, about to take a picture and you've got to get the settings right or, or maybe it's writing a note or a text to someone to tell them they love you or you love them. It's challenging. And life has a way of shaping and forming us. Have you noticed that? That life is a way of shaping us, whether it's a health scare or a financial problem or a, a wayward child or whatever that is. Life has a way of shaping and forming us. So why rush the process? When bad things happen to me, I'm like, how quick can we get over this? How can I numb myself to not notice so that I can quickly get over this? My process is never, what is God trying to do in my life through this? What is God teaching me? What is God doing to shape me? What is God doing to form me? How is God using my circumstances to create something new in me? And in return, what I'm, uh, while I'm being created and shaped, I'm able to start creating and shaping others. So God, what are you doing in me? Creativity is all about problem solving. It's all about problem solving. If you don't feel creative but you solve the problem, you are creative. Every problem holds the potential for you to be creative. And so when we're faced with problems, understand that there's opportunity. That God presents all of us every day, all day, opportunities to learn, to grow, and to be stretched. What if I told you that you're already in the creative process at some level? If you've tried to figure out how to fix your toilet because it's running all the time, you are in the creative process. And God is inviting you to shape and form something as silly as uh, a piece of a toilet can shape you in a way that you never thought possible. If we'll place it in the hands of God, see a lot of us see the world as a way that we're not supposed to be involved. But if we start looking at the most mundane aspects of our life, as God's shaping us and forming us, everything becomes an opportunity for God to do something remarkable. In Genesis 1.29, God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This food will be for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. I love this because God creates Adam and Eve, and he drops them down into this uh, planet that they don't even understand how big it is. And he puts them there. And I can imagine they would look around and be like, what do we do next? What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? Maybe if I just had a Burger King, then I could, I could solve my hunger problem. What if I just had some money? I could go to the store and buy this, right? They're probably rationalizing, like, we don't have everything we need. And God is reminding them, I've created you and I've given you everything you need for the task that I've placed in front of you. Can you imagine being the only human on earth 
You couldn't even comprehend the vastness of that statement. Like, I can't even imagine what it would be like. And we would never know how large it was. You wouldn't even know how, how big it would be to, like, walk around. And, and when God said, the entire earth is yours, they had no idea what that even meant. Like, you and I today, we have a, a fair understanding because we've seen pictures of our round earth some people have to be reminded of that, that are around Earth. We've seen satellite images, and, 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 and we've, we've traveled. We've been in planes that fly around the Earth, and, and we've been places, and we know how big the world is. It's large. But Adam and Eve had no idea how big the Earth was. They had no idea how big this opportunity was. And when God said the entire Earth is yours, they didn't even know what to do with that. What I love is that God is expanding their imposed limitations. God is stretching them. God is pushing them. And he's saying, everything that you need to do what I've called you to do is already given to you. Do you ever sit back and think, man, if only I had this, then I could do that. If only I had a little extra money, then I could do this. If only I had, it's always money, but only if I had this, then I could do that. Only if I was more this way, then I could do that. And we often place limitations on God when God is saying to Adam and Eve, but he's also saying to me and you, he's already given us everything that we need. Every seed-bearing plant, every tree, everything that Adam and Eve needed to survive and thrive had been given to them. Why would he stop with you and me? But God was shaking them out of their small-minded thinking and inviting them into creating with the resources that he had given them. See, I think God keeps shaking us out. The whole earth is given to us. It's been placed under God's dominion. Why do we keep placing limitations on God? God, if only you had done this for me, I'd do this. Only if I win the lottery. It's always the lottery. If only I'd do that, then I could pay the church's debt off. Don't you love begging God and like bartering with him? You're not going to pay the church off, but maybe. Here's this idea is that we always place limitations on what God is inviting us to do. And God's saying, I've already given you what you need. The earth is yours. They can't understand the vastness of the resources they've explored, but neither can you and I. We only understand limitations when we reach them, and we only understand how big God is when we push past those limitations. There's this tension here as a church where, like, we're a business, soda, you know, like a nonprofit, but we bring in money, and, and we have to pay bills, and so there's this weird, like, we're a business, but also we're faith-based, so we trust God. And, and, and George, he's a board member, he's always really good at going, God's got this, God will take care of it. And then others are like, oh, I don't know if we can afford it. And George is like, ah, oh, God's got it. And so if we get in trouble, it's George's fault. There's this idea that God is pushing us. And it's only when we push a little further that we see how big God is. But you know what I do? I go, ah, oh, I see that limitation. I'm going to stay back here. God's saying, I've already given you the earth. See, I think we do this in our lives. We don't know how big God is until we push just a little further. Now, I'm not advocating that you, like, go into debt and all this stuff, but, but I do think God invites us to have faith in him, to trust that what he's inviting you to do and to create with your life is going to take a little risk. And when you take that risk, then you see how big God is. Can you imagine Adam and Eve, every step, they're like, oh, there's a little more. There's a little more around this corner, a little more around this corner, and they're just walking around earth going, it's way bigger than I thought. You and I, we can walk around going, God is a little bigger and doing a little more than we ever imagined. But a lot of us want to play it safe. And many of us, were afraid. We're afraid that we'll be wrong or we'll get it wrong or we'll mess it up. And if you're not willing to be wrong, then you're never going to create anything. There's this vulnerability that comes with being a creative. 
where if you're going to put good things in the world, it's going to reflect your soul and it's going to uh, be vulnerable. But creativity is often problem solving. What problem is transpiring in the world that I need to solve? Is there something that's happening that I, I need that I need God to meet and God's inviting me into it? That God is saying, look, I've given you everything you need. So start using the resources you have. And then when he puts us into a new problem, he's going to give us new resources. And we see problems here. We need a youth ministry. We have few teenagers, but we're not going to get more until we have a ministry. And I truly believe, and Chip has said this many times, God's already given us what we need. We're just waiting for the person or people to recognize it. We had kids ministry. It was a big need. And Amy stepped in. She was an answer to prayer. I didn't know she was coming. I didn't know she was going to do it. She was an answer to prayer. We, when we see needs, we've got an air conditioner down there. I'll just throw this in here. It's 28000 for a new one. And it's, it's out. It's done. God's going to have to come through in a big way real soon. Real soon because summer's coming. I'm not scared. I'm a little scared. But God's got this. See, every opportunity, I'm not going to be in the gym if it was hot, it's hot. And every opportunity that we see that's a problem is God's opportunity to show us that he's bigger than whatever we experience. And then we get to celebrate that on the other side. Like We can celebrate our kids' ministry because somebody has stepped in and says, I want to love your kids more than anyone else can. And we're going to celebrate when the air conditioner uh, shows up or starts working, however God wants to. I'm not going to put limitations on God. And then we're going to celebrate that God is bigger, but he's given us everything we need, so stop making excuses. The creativity is seeing the world the way that God sees it. It's seeing the world. Do you ever notice that you see what you're looking for? I mean, it's the car. You buy a blue car. Everybody has a blue car. You, you know, whatever. Whatever you're looking for. I, I think there's a problem, right? I don't like you, and I'm looking for things that are, you know, I'm going to project onto you. That our imagination has the capacity to project onto every situation what we want to see. And so we only see what we want to see. What God is inviting us to do is to creatively see the way that God sees. And in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. He created everything sky, the moon, the stars, the water uh, over the earth, and land, and trees, and, and he creates you, and he creates me, and he looks back, he stops, he reflects, and he says, I see everything that I've made, and it's good. Often we get caught up in work that we fail to stop and see is what we're creating, what we're working for, is it actually good? Is what we're using all of our time and our resources to, to, to build and to create and to do and to dream, is it even good? I don't mean like objectively, like would the world accept it? I mean, is it following Christ? Is it pointing people to Jesus? Is it good? Because a lot of the things we spend our time doing is not good. It's not bringing glory to God. So how can we do that? You may just be a simple electrician or a simple whatever. Like you may see your job as, as, as being basic and simple and mundane. You see your job as a thing you have to do so that you can come and do ministry. But God sees your job as a ministry. How do you create what you're doing the, for six, eight, nine, twelve hours a day that you're being paid to do? How do you turn it around to point people to God? How do we see our time and our resources and our money? How do we creatively think, I'm going to point people to Jesus in this capacity? In Exodus it says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that we have an opportunity built into our calendar to stop and to keep it holy. We can stop and reflect back and look and see, hey, is what I'm doing actually making the world a better place? God says, all that he had made, it was good, and evening came, and the morning, and then the next day. God states that everything he had created, man, earth, all of it, it was good. That when you create for love, you always create. And you don't stop. You don't stop at good. He said, real good. It's not just good. 
good is good enough, right? That's how I work. Like if I fix something, especially in my house, it's like, that's good. It's fine. Didn't fall down. God didn't stop at good. He said real good. He said, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep projecting. We're going to keep doing because when you create for love, love compels us to continue to move. When we fall in love with the people around us, we don't stop at good. We go to real good and we keep going. And in Genesis, God creates everything by speaking it into existence. But when it came to you and my, me, you know what he did? He worked on us by hand. We're handcrafted. You're handmade. You know the difference between manufactured goods and handmade goods? They last. They last. If you want something cheap, you go quick and buy it. It's been manufactured, you slap it together, works for a while, you toss it in the landfill, it's done. If you want something good, you go handmade. It's more expensive, it's more time consuming, but it's made with love. See, God could have spoke us into existence. He decided to make us by hand. He got his hands in the dirt. He worked on us, he cultivated us. He created us by hand. And there's something beautiful about God getting into our lives and working on us and shaping us and molding us and forming us in his image. And Ephesians 2 says, for we are his creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Everybody say good works. You were created for good works, which God prepared ahead of time. He already knows what you're going to do. He's already carved out what he wants you to do. You just have to step into it so that we should walk in them. Walk in what God has already carved out for you. It's good. It's real good. And it's already carved out and ready for you. In the NLT version, it says we are God's masterpiece. In the ESV, it says we are God's workmanship. Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's saying, you're God's workmanship. In the Greek, the word workmanship is poema. The etymology of poema is where we get the word poem. You are God's poem, and he's writing you. Some of us were a verse. Some of us were a stanza. Some of us were, you know, further along. Some of us are less, but God's not done. None of us are complete. None of us are finished products. None of us walk into the space and go, yep, God created me and I'm finished. I am in good shape. We're all works of art and we're arcs, are works of art and we're working in art. We are working and being worked on and we're building and dreaming and God is building and dreaming for us. You are part of the fabric of humanity and God is taking your life and mine. He's taking us where we are and he's creating something beautiful with it. If we'll place our hands in the hands of the workmen, if we'll stop giving our lives over to the things that don't have good in store for us, if we'll stop giving our mind over to the, the visual clutter and the garbage that the world keeps putting out, if we'll stop giving our heart over to people and things that don't uh, deserve it or treat it well, and we'll start surrendering our lives to God, watch how we begin to create things that help others see God as a great creator, that we will never create anything more significant than our lives that your life is the great work of art that you're constantly working on, and it demands to be shared with others, and so we share. In our story and community, we share what God is doing in us. We share our past, we share our present, and we share the future. God has done this, and God is doing this, and he's going to do this, that together we are constantly aware of how God wants to keep working on us, but we're his best and finest work of art. You are. You are his finest work of art. His masterpiece, but he's not done. He's shaping us and he's forming us and he's molding us into his image. And what happens is we get out of shape and we get away from him and we start getting formed more to the world and God says, no, 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 come on back. I'm gonna shape and form you. Come on back over. I think this is an opportunity for us in this moment to recognize where we are, to recognize the shape that we're in and to ask God to reform us in his image. If you would go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes across the room.